The information contained in this podcast is for general information purposes and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. This is In The Know, a monthly investment podcast brought to you by Magellan Asset Management, experts in global investing. Focusing on the big conversations, we'll bring you timely, unique and thought-provoking investment insights to help you make sense of today's investment landscape. I couldn't be prouder of how the 400,000 Starbucks partners who proudly wear the green apron have shown up over the last several months as we've been through a lot together, navigating this global pandemic and going through the whole process of understanding how to shut down stores and then be able to safely reopen them and serve customers. And I give all the credit in the world to Starbucks partners and how they've shown up in these communities around the world. That was Kevin Johnson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Starbucks, a business in which Magellan is a major shareholder. Welcome to Episode 2 of In The Know. Kevin Johnson joined Starbucks after years at Microsoft and today applies lessons from the tech industry to drive innovation at the world's largest coffeehouse chain. This focus on innovation, twinned with an enduring dedication to company culture and shared values, has helped unite Starbucks' 400,000 staff in 82 countries and successfully steer the business through this COVID crisis. In this wide-reaching interview, we find out how Starbucks' 4,000 stores in China are faring in the face of ongoing US-China tensions. How the brand managed the well-documented racial discrimination incident in one of its US stores, and why putting people before profits is the driving force behind the business's resilience. But first, here's Hamish Douglas with some words of welcome. Welcome back, and thank you everyone for joining us again for Magellan's In The Know podcast. I'm Hamish Douglas, and today's episode, I'm speaking to Kevin Johnson, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Starbucks. Kevin, it's great speaking with you again, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for including me. I look forward to our discussion. And Kevin, if you don't mind, it would be really nice for our listeners if you could just maybe provide a little bit of background on yourself, where you grew up, what your sort of educational background, professional journey was, to actually becoming the Chief Executive of Starbucks. Well, Hamish, I guess if I look way back, I grew up in a small town in New Mexico, Los Alamos, New Mexico, and uh, grew up the son of a physicist and uh, my mother, a pediatric nurse. So, you know, a lot of times growing up, I like to think that I got the intellect and curiosity of math and science and how the world works from my father, but I got all the compassion and empathy and caring for people from my mother. And so I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. In undergraduate school, I learned to write computer software, and I just fell in love with writing computer software. I could make computers do amazing things that when graphical user interfaces were showing up, I could make all kinds of clever things happen on that computer and show my friends, and, you know, it was a way for me to express myself. And so I started my career as a software developer and basically spent 32 years in the tech industry had some wonderful experiences. You know, I worked at IBM for a number of years and then joined as the personal computer revolution began. I then joined a very small company at the time named Microsoft. And I remember coming home to tell my wife that I was going to leave IBM to go work for this company called Microsoft. And she looked at me, she says, Microsoft, I've never heard of that. What do they do? 
And so I had to explain to her what they did, software for PCs. And, and she says, well, you know, are they going to pay you? I said, yeah, they're going to pay me kind of about what I was making at IBM, but they give me these things called stock options. And she says, well, what are stock options? I explained to her what stock options are. And she looked at me in the face. She goes, I count stock options as zero. And uh, we laugh about that to this day. <laughs> so I had a wonderful journey at Microsoft and uh, a great experience. It, you know, eventually it worked. I was on the senior leadership team at the time. Uh, with Steve Ballmer was the CEO. Bill Gates was our chief software architect. And you know, great, great talented people like Craig Mundy and Jeff Rakes and Jim Alchin. Just a wonderful uh, experience at Microsoft. You know, I spent 32 years in the tech industry, and uh, I had transitioned from Microsoft to go be the CEO of a company in Silicon Valley called Juniper Networks. And when I was at Juniper, I also joined the Starbucks board. So my Starbucks journey actually began about 12 years ago when I joined the board of directors. Howard invited me to join the board when he stepped back in as CEO because he was looking for some technology expertise on the board. And that's kind of how I got connected to Starbucks. Well, we're very lucky that Seattle has some amazing companies. And, you know, we're also large investors in Microsoft. And we're very lucky that Satya Nadella, who I think is one of the great chief executives of the world, it actually sits on your board as well. So it's nice to see some of the old Microsoft connections in at Starbucks still. And of course, digital engagement's an incredibly important part of the Starbucks journey. So your technology background with the consumer interface is incredibly important to the journey moving forward. Well, clearly, Hamish, you know, if you think about the two transformative elements of modern day retail, the first one is you have to create an experience in your brick and mortar store that makes it a destination for the customer. And then you have to extend that experience to a digital mobile relationship. So the whole world of a digital customer relationship is really key to what I think is building long-term loyalty and long-term customer relationships for any retailer. So, you know, at Starbucks, we've been working on that for a number of years, and that has really served us well. It's a core part of our strategy and uh, continues to be a great asset in helping us continue to grow this great business. You know, I'd also say an interesting thing is at Starbucks, over the last three and a half years or so since I've been CEO, one of the things that I've been able to do, I've taken everything I learned about driving innovation in the tech industry over a 32-year career and figured out how to apply some of the most important principles to how we drive innovation at Starbucks. And by doing that, what we've done is we're dramatically accelerating the pace of innovation that's coming out of Starbucks and innovation that uh, is relevant to our customers, that's inspiring to our partners and meaningful to our business. So we've applied a lot of the lessons from the tech industry to Starbucks on how we innovate on a wide range of things, including digital, but also you apply it to beverage innovation, store design, new equipment, and new ways of working. And Kevin, I would like to ask you how the family and teams are doing at the moment. Obviously, you're partly working from home and other things at the moment. Just wanted to check that, that you and the family and your team at Starbucks are all okay. Well, Hamish, thanks for asking. Certainly, this global pandemic has changed the lives of all of us around the world, both our personal lives and our professional lives. And my family is doing well, and we've managed to stay healthy. And But like everyone, we've been sheltering at home or been very careful about when we go out. We've been following all the recommendations of wearing masks, washing hands, social distancing, and 
And that has been a positive thing. And, you know, as far as my Starbucks partners, I couldn't be prouder of how the 400,000 Starbucks partners who proudly wear the green apron have shown up over the last several months as we've been through a lot together, navigating this global pandemic and going through the whole process of understanding how to shut down stores and then be able to safely reopen them and serve customers. And I give all the credit in the world to Starbucks partners and how they've shown up in these communities around the world. You know, when this started happening in China in January, working with Belinda, I immediately realized, look, I've got to define the principles by which we're going to make these decisions on how to navigate this situation. And the three principles that I landed on that very first day that this started happening in China, I said, number one, we're going to prioritize the health and well-being of our Starbucks partners and the customers we serve. Number two, we're going to support local health officials as they work to contain and mitigate this virus. And number three, we're going to show up in a positive and responsible way in every community we're a part of. Now, we use those same three principles, and we're still using them today. We use them in 82 markets around the world as we had to go through closing stores. We use those same three principles as we decide how to reopen stores. Those three principles have guided the entire company and so being transparent with partners in these communications, with all stakeholders, just being transparent. Here's the principles. Here's the decisions we're making. Here's what's going to happen next. That transparency and the principle-based decision-making has just served us incredibly well through this entire period. It's absolutely remarkable. And you're in one of the unique positions where the business had to be totally shut down. At one stage, just before this happened, Starbucks was firing on all cylinders, really firing on all cylinders. U.S. businesses had come back really strongly. Your China business was firing. The Nestle Alliance was up and operating. And all of a sudden, you just had to shut the whole business down. How did you deal with that with your leadership team and team members? You know, it's a very different psychology from we're winning and everything's working to we can't even open a store at the moment. Well, I'd say when this virus first started to unfold in China, you know, we were connected to Belinda and her team in China, and we're just aware of the decisions she was having to make, and we were close to those things. And, you know, I think as we realized at some point we're going to have 90% of our stores closed in China, that this is a major, major event. And how long will we be sheltering at home before they'll start to reopen things? And, they started after, I think it was like a three-week uh, period, they were quarantined, sheltered at home, and they started to reopen stores. And we said, okay, there is a path where it'll start to recover. But we kind of focused, at least for me, focused on China. How are we helping our team in China navigate this? Well, then all of a sudden, the first case pops up in Kirkland, Washington, just down the street from us here, the first COVID-19 confirmed case in the United States. All of a sudden, Seattle now is sort of the epicenter of outbreaks here in the United States. And the realization that this now is something that's going to be a global event. And that realization was like, okay, by then we had already realized, let's take all that we're learning in China, let's now take those store protocols, let's use those same three principles, let's now start adapting those for the U.S. And we adapted those protocols for the U.S., we then propagated them to the 82 markets around the world that we run businesses in. And uh, those three principles and those store protocols basically became the blueprint for how we navigated this. But I'll tell you the most important things that I think help Starbucks. Number one is the fact that Starbucks partners have an emotional connection to our mission and we live our values. We were grounded together in our mission and values. How many other companies have a mission statement that begins with the words to inspire and nurture the human spirit? 
one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. And the values that we stand for say, yeah, when it gets hard, we put people over profit. And we're going to do the right thing because we're playing the long game. And the mission and the values were sort of at the core of everything we did. The three principles guided us. And it actually pulled us together. It pulled us together as a company, as a leadership team. It pulled us together immediately. Here's the morning call. Here's the evening call. Here's the decisions we have to make today. Here's the decisions we have to communicate tomorrow. So we just immediately went into, look, we're going to work as a team and we're going to navigate this. And because partners are grounded in that mission and values, I have this belief in what I call distributed leadership, which means if we're grounded in the same mission and we live the same values and we have a shared experience we're going through together, I can outline the three principles by which we should be making decisions. And hundreds and hundreds of decisions were made in 82 countries around the world every single day by the partners in those markets, and they made good decisions. They made decisions that stood for what Starbucks is all about and they made decisions that really aligned with those three principles. And so we became a very agile company very quickly as we navigated our response to this. We did it in a principled way, and I'm very proud. I'm very, very proud of the Starbucks partners around the world. 400,000 Starbucks partners who proudly wear the green apron, and they showed up, and uh, we stood behind them. That's why when we closed stores, we said, look, we're going to close stores, but we're going to provide you economic certainty. We didn't go and say, oh, here's the number of people on furlough or layoffs. We said, no, we're going to pay you whether you come into work or not. If you're uncomfortable coming in during COVID-19, we will pay you to stay home, care for your family, full benefits. If you feel like you can come in and you want to come in, we'll open the stores that we can open. We'll open the drive throughs that we can open. And uh, we showed that we trust our partners. And in return, Starbucks partners, they rise to the occasion. And that's really interesting, Kevin, because we spoke to Pat very early on during the China side, and we were having a chat about philosophically and doing the right thing by the partners. And were you looking to save costs of not providing those benefits to partners during the early stages of the pandemic? And we were saying to Pat, we're fully supportive of that. You didn't need to save money, but he goes, but not all shareholders felt the same. Could you save money? Why wouldn't you let people go? Why wouldn't you not pay them if you weren't required to pay the partner's benefits? So how do you weigh up that sort of short-term profit saving? Obviously, companies are under pressure when you weren't getting any revenue, but just doing the right thing by the team members in the stores here. How important was that versus the the short-term imperative to try and save cash? Well, I would say, Hamish, it was the most important thing because at times of adversity, values matter. And at times of adversity, it's when your actions really reflect what you believe in. And I believe that partners are the heartbeat of Starbucks. And uh, the investment we made to give them economic certainty is already returning for us in ways that you can't imagine. The brand is stronger than ever. And I tell you, those partners, when we came to reopen stores, they were there. And when they create a safe experience for our customers, they're there. When it came to giving free coffee to frontline healthcare workers, our partners showed up. And that's because they know we believe in them. And uh, I think we're going to look back, and this will be one of the greatest brand investments that you could have ever made, which was at a time when there's 30, 40 million people in the United States being laid off and out of work, Starbucks put people over profit. And my job and Pat's job was to make sure we understood, you know, all the implications and that we had enough liquidity. We knew we could navigate this. We've got a strong balance sheet. And yeah, we had to take on a little bit extra debt. We knew what our cash burn rate was. But we also knew that when we start to reopen those stores, that partners are going to be there. 
and that uh, at the end of the day, that has served us very well, and I think we're just beginning to see the great benefit of what it means to put people over profit at a time of need. And we were talking earlier between the workers that are Zoomers and non-Zoomers, between your office staff and your frontline workers in the stores, and all of us are seeing a huge amount of change from what's going on in our lives. And you're seeing a lot of traffic pattern changes as people are coming back. Your downtown CBD stores, obviously people aren't in office buildings. You're getting a lot more drive-through in your suburban stores. How are you weighing up what's just temporary, well, we haven't got a vaccine at the moment, and what's more permanent? And where are you choosing to make investments? Where are you choosing to close stores as part of the changes that are occurring? So how are you trying to weigh up this sort of temporary changes by more permanent changes that are occurring because of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, I believe that the fact that all of us as human beings have lived through this global pandemic, it's a shared experience that everyone on this planet has gone through. And I actually think there are certain things that will change us for life in the way that we look at things. But Certain things are inherent in just humanity. So, for example, as we began to reopen stores, we did it in a way that we felt was safe. We partnered with the CDC to ensure we had safety protocols in the stores, you know, whether it's facial masks, hand washing, sanitizing procedures, social distancing, all the things that you would expect us to do. And so as we did that, the realization that what customers are looking for right now are experiences that are safe, familiar, and convenient. And certainly, we've all been sheltering at home for some period and not going into work and working to help slow the spread, you know, flatten the curve and get our community, our country, the world in a place where we're controlling the spread of this virus. We've all been doing that, and it's required us to isolate. But in isolation, people begin to get lonely. They search for something that's familiar from the past, but yet they want something safe. And so, We've optimized what we're doing right now around this concept of safe, familiar, and convenient, which means what's the safest, most convenient way to order your Starbucks? It's on the mobile app. What channels are they going to use that give them a safe experience and familiar experience? They might go through the drive-through. We've launched curbside in the U.S., so we've got a new channel there. They can do mobile order to pick up in the store. In some cases, we have stores that are open with limited seating. Sometimes we make it limited seating that's outdoors because we know that's a safer experience. So we've just optimized around what our customers are looking for today. And, you know, amazingly enough that even when we closed all stores in the United States except for drive-throughs, we'd have a 20 or 30 minute line of cars waiting to get into the drive-through. And so as we see that, what do we do? Well, we go get some handheld point of sale systems so that partners can go out in that line and begin taking customers' orders and get them through the drive-through faster. So it's been sort of innovating in ways that are relevant to what customers are looking for today. You know, the good news is we had a strategy to enable more of these convenient scenarios for customers who visit Starbucks that we'd planned over the next three to five years. And we basically said, let's accelerate that to the next 18 to 24 months. So we're building more these Starbucks pickup stores in urban markets. And think of those as a walkthrough, where in a suburban market, you have a drive-through. We've accelerated our digital innovation to add curbside pickup. We've accelerated digital. We just now, in the United States, released the ability for customers to earn rewards with whatever form of payment they choose. They can use their own credit card instead of having to get the stored value card from Starbucks, and we give them rewards. 
So accelerating digital, accelerating new store formats, and really amplifying the need state of convenience, knowing that it's safe, familiar, and convenient. Those are things that are for near term. Now, what's not going away? Well, the fact that as human beings, as human beings, we have a drive to, to be with other human beings, to share connection, personal connections with other human beings. It's how we get energy from being human. It's how we overcome adversity. It's how we share our joys and successes. It's interacting with other humans. And so today we may not have a lot of people gathering to be seated in the third place at Starbucks, but I guarantee you by isolation and social distancing, all it's doing, it's building up more and more demand for us as human beings to be a part of a community and be with other human beings. And I predict this is going to unleash a massive wave. Let's just say when there's a vaccine and we get to a point where you know, there's a vaccine and enough immunity that this is not spreading. People are going to want to crave being a part of a community. And that third place experience will be more popular than it has been in the 50 years since Starbucks was founded. And because Starbucks has been in that community serving frontline healthcare workers, been in that community helping our partners by putting people over profit, being in that community and helping customers navigate this global pandemic, you know, I think we've invested and we've built a brand and that third place experience is going to come back stronger than ever. But we have to just be patient, wait for that vaccine. It's going to come. In the interim, we're optimized around safe, familiar and convenient. And Kevin, I would assume like many businesses that you support people who work in like your office downtown where you are at the moment in Seattle. Before this, we're traveling to work every day and we're probably taking an hour, an hour and a half of their day just getting to the office. I suspect coming out of this, you're all going to offer many of those people a more flexible working environment. We've proven that this can work. But obviously, those social interactions are important as well, even in your support centres and your head office. How do you think that's going to play out? I want to lead into that if more and more businesses do this, how is Starbucks going to adapt when people aren't gathering in as large a gatherings in offices? Or don't you see that that sort of more flexible work environment is going to be an outcome of this pandemic? Well, look, I do think a more flexible work environment is going to be an outcome of this pandemic. Let me comment on that in a second. But I also realize that as people are working from home, they've just adapted their patterns of when they visit Starbucks. And so, you know, maybe they come in 30 minutes to an hour later in the morning than they used to because they're not having to commute as far. And maybe when they come in, they buy more beverages because they're buying for their family or buying for a larger group. But even in a flexible work environment, you know, we're seeing the recovery unfold and it's progressing ahead of how we'd plan. So when it comes to how I think about the future of work, there are certain things that require that face-to-face -face work environment. Like when we hire new Starbucks partners, how do we immerse new partners? How do they learn the culture? How do you propagate culture? When you have partners earlier in their career, how do you have more senior partners train them or transfer skills and knowledge to them and mentor them? How do you co-create when you have innovators that are working on ideation of inventing new things? How do you do that? Many of those things require face-to-face -face interaction. And so I don't see a future where companies go to a completely work-from-home model or work-remote model. But let's just suppose here at Starbucks in our support center here in Seattle, let's assume we're roughly 4,000 Starbucks partners work in this building, nine-floor building, 4,000 partners. You know, I would expect that probably 2,000 of those partners would need to be in the office, let's say, four to five days a week. 
and maybe one day a week or so they might work remote. The other 50% of those partners, let's say another 2,000 partners, they might work two to three days a week from the office and the other two to three days a week from home. So right away you can say, well, there might be 25% fewer partners in the office at any one time, which means we might have some excess space. It might mean we have to renovate uh, the way we create the physical space to accommodate this new, more flexible work environment and optimize around the things we need. So I do think there will be some lasting changes in how businesses operate with a more flexible work environment. I mean, we've proven we shifted immediately within a week when we went to working from home. Within a week, we had all the technology up and the ability now to really start figuring out how we can collaborate and work together, and we haven't missed a beat. So you can do it in a highly remote, flexible, work-from-home environment. But the things that you lose, culture propagation, immersing new partners, the co-creation processes are things that are very important. And so, you know, I see we're going to balance those two things, and I would suspect that most other businesses will do the same. I've had this conversation with a number of CEOs of whether it's tech companies, large financial institutions, pharma, healthcare companies, and I think there's a balance each business will strike that will be right for their industry and right for their company. And Kevin, in terms of what your staff can do to contribute, when you talk about a company with purpose, one of the big debates in ESG at the moment, and one thing I find interesting is who leads the sort of ESG debate? Is it up to governments to set regulations on the environment and on plastic usage? Is it about your customers and what your customers are doing? Is it about your partners in the business? Or is it about companies themselves taking leadership on some of these issues and doing things that you're not even required to do or being demanded to be done at the moment in terms of social causes. You've had your own challenges in the recent past. You had an African-American man who was refused to use a restroom in Starbucks. It would hit all the news globally around that issue. So how do you think about this whole issue and the Starbucks brand and who's leading the charge here in terms of doing the right thing? You know, it's a great question because I was reflecting, you know, Starbucks is about to celebrate our 50th anniversary as a company, founded in 1971 in one store, Pike Place Market here in Seattle, Washington. And Starbucks was founded about six months after Milton Friedman published sort of the famous doctrine that he espoused, which was the sole purpose of any company, business, capitalist business, was to maximize profit. That was the sole purpose. And yet, six months after that, Starbucks was founded with a mission grounded in humanity and had a purpose that went beyond the pursuit of profit. So we've been, for 50 years, a company that believed that businesses have a role and responsibility to play in society, whether it's just taking care of the people that work for those businesses or showing up in a positive way in the communities that they're part of, serving customers well. For me personally, I think that In today's society, if you look at the problems that we face, whether these are problems with environmental sustainability issues and you see the outcomes that that's driving, whether it's climate change, the increase in waste or, you know, water issues, climate, water and waste is a problem that's going to require government leadership, it's going to require business leadership, and it's going to require citizens to be involved. And uh, I think in many of the other issues that we're dealing with is just in the United States and around the world on topics like racial injustice and inequities, I think that too 
These social issues cannot be solved by government alone. And candidly, when you look at surveys, citizens are losing trust in their governments. And I think it's a requirement for businesses to reflect on their role. My personal view is that over the last decade or two, you've seen this emergence of corporate social responsibility. And in many ways, that's a positive thing. But in many ways, I think of corporate social responsibility as sort of being the sidecar that is attached to the engine of profit. I think we're about to emerge in a new era, and ESG starts to capture that. But this new era says, look, businesses have a role and responsibility to play in society. And, you know, capitalism has to recognize that there's more than than just operating to maximize profits, that there's a role, a positive role, that businesses can play in society. And by doing that, that actually, I think there's a synergy across being a company that believes in being planet positive, a company that believes in being people positive, and a company that believes in being profit positive. And to me, those three things have to work in harmony. And the success of a business in the future, I think, will be judged by their ability to succeed in all three of those dimensions. What are they doing around environmental sustainability? What are they doing for society? And what are they doing as a for-profit business? And those that succeed in all three and find those synergies and do it in a harmonious way, I think will be the enduring companies of the next 50 years. And Kevin, when that African-American person was turned away in one of your stores, obviously that was a deeply troubling issue for you as the leader of Starbucks and really could have caused enormous brand damage and actually damage with many of your team members in your stores. How did you cope with that issue and deal with it? Yeah, you know, I think the first realization is that if you look and say, well, these things happen in society, but the first realization is this happened in a Starbucks. And when that happens in a Starbucks, then certainly as the CEO, I'm accountable for that. And the leadership team were accountable. And so we felt this deep sense of accountability to get involved, to understand how it happened, why it happened, and take the appropriate action to prevent that from happening again. Because, look, we're a business that we get up every morning to open over 32,000 Starbucks stores around the world and create a warm, welcoming environment in every one of those stores. And we failed on that day in that store in Philadelphia. And so we had to accept accountability for that. And as we did and engaged in this, we decided, look, we are going to close all of our stores for an afternoon. And we developed some unconscious bias training, anti-bias training that helped each of us understand, better understand that as human beings, each one of us is wired with a certain set of bias that is ingrained in us because of our life experience. And because people have different life experiences, we get wired in different ways. And you have to understand that and understand your own biases to start to understand how you can play a role of creating a more inclusive environment. So we invested in that and we closed our stores and did that training. We hired Covington and uh, Eric Holder, the former attorney general, and did a civil rights audit. They came in and they audited the entire company and they identified those things that we were doing. They identified some additional things we should be doing, and they gave us kind of their view of that audit of where we're doing well and where we had more work to do. Coming out of that audit, we decided that transparency, you know, if you're going to be accountable, transparency is important. And so we were one of the first companies, we published that audit. We made it publicly available. And then we work on it. And then a year later, we had them come back and did an assessment of the progress we made over that prior year. And we made that assessment transparent. 
So I think there's a set of principles here that when it comes to working on things like racial injustice and racial inequities that we see certainly in America and in other parts of the world, at Starbucks, we feel a deep sense of responsibility to work on that not only within Starbucks, but have a positive influence on society overall. And to do that, you have to acknowledge, look, we are part of society, therefore we have to play a positive, constructive role. We have to be intentional, we have to be transparent, and we have to be accountable. So when I think about our responsibility, whether it was what happened in our store that day in Philadelphia, or our role and responsibility, it comes to, you know, with the acknowledgement that we have a big platform and we have a responsibility to lead on these matters. And by doing that, it says, let's be intentional about what we're doing. Let's be accountable for how we show up and let's be transparent every step of the way. Intentional, transparent, and accountable, uh, I think are three words that describe how I feel Starbucks is responsible for showing up in a positive way on these social issues. As major shareholders, we certainly were very grateful and applauded the response you took. And I'd use one word also. I think it was very authentic. And I think often when corporations face these issues, they get sort of professional advice and things, but it's just not authentic. And the reality is, is customers and things see through responses that aren't authentic. And when you're not authentic on these issues, it just doesn't matter. I completely agree. I think authenticity is critical. Could I just move on to your business in China, obviously a very large part of the investment case over the next 10 to 20 years, and I really think it is a 20-year story in China. On my last podcast, we had Michael Morell, who was a former deputy director of the CIA, who's a strategic advisor to Magellan, and we were discussing China and his view that these tensions between the US and China aren't going away and they won't go away with a change of the president if that was to occur. It may be handled slightly differently. You have a very large visible brand sitting there in China. How do you manage that brand so you don't get caught up in the geopolitical crossfire seen as an American brand in China and it could become unpatriotic to be consuming sort of Starbucks products? So how do you manage that sort of local issue in China to manage through and not get caught in the crossfires? Yeah. Well, clearly, we operate in 82 markets around the world, so we're constantly aware of and dealing with geopolitical situations that unfold. But let's be specific in China. Starbucks has been in China for over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, I like to characterize our approach in China as we built Starbucks in China for China. And what does that mean? That means that our leadership team and our Starbucks partners in China, we have everything contained in China to decide what real estate they want to build stores in. The store designers are based in China. They hire local Chinese contractors to build those stores. We bring in Chinese artwork to show respect for the culture, and we build stores that we think are culturally appropriate and reflect the Starbucks brand, but do it in a way that it's Starbucks in China. We build Starbucks in China for China because we do our own food and beverage R&D in China. We work with coffee farmers in China. We're building a roasting plant in China. You know, our China team is completely self-contained. They're connected to the mission, the values. They understand the brand promise, what the experience we create for our customers. They know how to bring the Starbucks brand to life. And we do that in a way that we think shows the respect to the Chinese culture and respect to our Chinese Starbucks partners and respect to our customers in China. And that has served us very well. In addition, you know, I spend a lot of my time with our team in China, ensuring that we have 
good relationships with government leaders in China and that we have an open dialogue with them about what we're doing and and that we're playing a positive role in society in China. So our social impact agenda and the work we do in China is intended to do good in that community. And so all of those things have served us well for over 20 years. And it is one of our targeted long-term growth markets. The China and the U.S. are the two markets that, if I think about every market, the China and U.S. are like the two lead bikes in a Peloton, and every other market is drafting right behind the innovation that we do in the U.S. and China. And so that has served us well. We're not immune to geopolitical, but I feel like we've got a good foundation of trust and respect, both in the U.S. and China, on how we operate, and we work to do good in the communities we're a part of. And I think that will serve us well. And do you think it helps that you are also a very large employer? This year, despite the pandemic, you're probably going to roll out another 500 stores in China. You employ a lot of people in China. And if you look out of 20 years, you're going to be a very large employer. If you continue to roll out stores like we think you will over a 20-year time frame, you're going to be a very sizable employer in a country. You're providing healthcare benefits to people. Do you think that really matters that you're seen as a partner And even during this year, you've kept your store rollout occurring where the Chinese economy has also been going probably better than most economies, but that's very important for China as well. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think we have over 55,000 Starbucks partners in China who proudly wear the green apron. And so we're creating jobs, we're creating opportunities for them. You know, we even create unique benefits for our partners in China. You know, we'd ask our Starbucks partners in China, what was most important to them? And many times they would say, the most important thing to me is that I can care for my aging parents. And so we went and created uh, one-of-a-kind healthcare insurance that was for their parents, for catastrophic coverage, for catastrophic events, health events. And we give that to our Starbucks partners in China. So not only can they be proud and wear the green apron and, and have a career at Starbucks, but they can also do it and care for their parents. So it's things like that that matter. And I'm very proud of Belinda and Leo and our leadership team in China. We've got a great leadership team there, and uh, they continue to do innovative, creative things to take care of our people in China. And I guess with the scale of the business and the amount of cities, you're actually in a lot of local communities as well. You're just not a big brand in sort of big supermarkets being distributed. You're right out there in local communities here. That is one of the special things about Starbucks, Amy. Every one of those 32,000 stores around the world is a part of a community. And there's a store manager and a team of 10 to 15 Starbucks partners that work at that store. And those partners know the customers in that community. They get familiar with their lives and their families. And so every one of those stores in China and every other market is part of a community. And uh, that is part of what creates that special, unique Starbucks experience. And maybe one final question, Kevin. There's a huge amount of uncertainty going on in the world with this pandemic that we're all living through at the moment. You've got a situation in the United States that is troubling for a lot of people. There is a lot of divide in the United States. We've got Black Lives Matter movement happening in the United States. We've got a lot of geopolitical tensions between China and the West, not just the United States. So With all that sort of uncertainty, what are you most optimistic about at the moment, looking forward? Well, look, I'm optimistic about humanity. You look at how we've just been through this shared experience around the world navigating a global pandemic. I characterize this as we're no longer in crisis, but we still have a global pandemic. Humanity has come together to try and figure out ways to contain the spread of the virus. There's people innovating on vaccines and therapeutics. 
There's people figuring out how can we care for those who are in need at this moment in time. And there's a lot of divisiveness, certainly, but there's also a lot of very positive things that are happening in the world where people show that they care about other human beings. And a lot of times through adversity, this is something that can unite people and bring them together towards common cause. And so I'm just optimistic that the world has gone through something that this is my first global pandemic. And so we're kind of all going through this together and we're figuring it out. And uh, I'm just optimistic for humanity that we're going to get through this and we're going to be stronger because of it and more resilient. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real insight. And from all of us at Magellan, thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure and thank you. I've enjoyed our discussion, Hamish. That was Kevin Johnson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Starbucks, speaking with our Chairman and Chief Investment Officer, Hamish Douglas. We trust you've enjoyed this episode of Magellan In The Know. Join us in a month's time for the next episode. For more information on upcoming episodes, visit magellangroup.com.au slash podcast where you can also sign up to receive our regular Investment Insights program. Thanks for listening.